We live in an extraordinary time in the 21st century, particularly in coastal Orange County. You ever had to wonder about whether the drinking water you, were, you had on your table is going to kill you? It's a real issue for millions and millions and millions of people in the world. Our choices are more, am I a Topo Chico person, more of an Avion person? Some people hate sand, water from Sam's. Uh, someone in my family is very snooty about a particular brand, just will not drink it. We're blessed beyond imagination. 21st century America, we pay people for all kinds of things. In fact, and it all has to do with having an abundance. I recently learned there is such a thing in the world as a color expert. Have you heard about this? See, some of you are smarter and live on a higher level than I do. Did you hear the, hmm, go through the crown? Like, yes, of course we know what that is. We're not savages. We're not Philistines. <laughs> By meeting someone who does this for a full-time job, I learned that a color expert is someone who helps people choose colors to paint their house or their building. That's the job. And if you drive some places, you can see that some of us clearly needed some help. I just didn't know you could make a career of that. But that got me thinking of what kind of skill set gets you into a life where you can actually make a good living just telling people what you see. And that led me to the simple discovery that, frankly, a lot of people get paid for what they see. You're paying a photographer for vision, really. You're paying a doctor, particularly some very, very intense specialties, because a doctor can look at your body, can look at a scan, can look at film, and tell you the difference between life and death, what's going on inside of you. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew sums up a lot of Jesus' ministry by telling us what Jesus saw. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and let me just take you quickly through the Gospel of John and show you what's been happening. Jesus has been announcing both in word and deed that he is the one that the Hebrew Scriptures, which we call the Old Testament, were pointing forward to. That the prophet Isaiah, King David, all the prophets, all the writings, the law of Moses itself pointed forward to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls disciples. They begin spreading that message. Jesus is doing most of the work. The disciples primarily are watching Jesus. And in the chapters between 4 and where we are in chapter 9, Jesus does all kinds of miracles. He heals all diseases. He casts out demons. He gives a dead girl her life back. He is demonstrating that he is not only a persuasive preacher that can open up their scriptures, he is actually the very Son of God, now on earth, unexpectedly and controversially, but he is exactly who the scriptures had promised. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, I come to a summary of everything that Matthew has told me about Jesus so far. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Did you notice how comprehensive that is? Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages in the particular region where he is, 
teaching in their synagogues. In other words, on Saturday, when God's people Israel are gathered for worship, Jesus is going into the synagogue and sitting down to open the scriptures before them and explain that he's the one portrayed in those scrolls. Jesus went through all the, all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What that literally means is Jesus is announcing the good news of the kingdom, and the reason is the king is now on earth. And Jesus, the Son of God, who is the king of all creation, is doing things that only the king of all creation can do. He's doing things like healing every disease and every affliction. How would you say the ministry is going in Matthew 9, verse 35? How's it going for Jesus? Really well. Ask yourself simple questions like that when you're reading the Bible. Don't just read it as a historical recitation of facts. Try to stand there in the dust with them. Try to sit in the synagogue and listen and ask yourself a simple question like, how is the ministry going? Well, it's going really well. But Jesus sees something. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You can imagine and understand why there are crowds continually around Jesus. This man knows everything. He teaches with authority that we've never heard before and whatever problem is wrecking my life and destroying my family, he can take care of it. Leprosy, blindness, demon possession, any kind of disease, any kind of human suffering, he can alleviate it merely by his own will. No wonder the crowds are gathered around him. But I want you to see what Jesus sees in them. When he saw the crowd, he noticed that they were harassed and helpless, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And if you've read the Bible very much, you can hear some echoes of a lot of the Old Testament there. Because King David famously wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's going to take me to still waters. He's going to make me lie down in green pastures. Even in the worst days, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David says, I will fear no evil because the good shepherd is with me. A shepherd was God himself. A shepherd particularly in an earthly sense where the religious leaders who should have been there to represent God and open the scriptures up to them faithfully and tell them about God and his covenant love for them, his great mercy for them, the purpose he had to save them so that they would be his light to the wicked nations surrounding them. Leaders of Israel have failed them. The people have no shepherd. They have no guidance. They don't know spiritual truth. And that's what Jesus sees. They are harassed and helpless. And friend, if you've come to church and you're a little out of place in church in your own mind, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't belong here, you do. And it's not because we're also here, it's because Jesus is here and he sees you. And if you feel helpless and you feel harassed, let me tell you what's exactly what's happening. Jesus sees what's going on in your heart. And if any religious leaders have failed you to this point, he never will. 
See, the trouble with religion, it is continually telling men and women that God is high above them. Everybody feels that in their conscience. And religion gives them the wrong prescription. It tells them to climb up through good deeds so that they will reach the place where God is. And every single self-aware person with an ounce of humility knows it's not working. Because your conscience tells you daily that you're coming up short. If the standard is God's justice and holiness and perfection, every single one of us is in deep, deep trouble because none of us are like him. And it's not a matter of comparing ourselves to one another. It's a matter of measuring ourselves against his standard. The good news of the kingdom announces that the king, knowing that you could never climb up, came down. The king came down, and now the king is standing on earth, seeing people harassed and helpless without a shepherd. What Jesus saw is simply this, that people have no hope apart from him. That is the core Christian teaching. That is fundamental to the Bible. To say less than that is to say less than Jesus himself said. Jesus said extraordinary, narrow things like this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. Do you know the rest of this? Except through me. The apostolic teaching shortly after the crucifixion of Jesus is there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In John chapter 8, Jesus said to people who hated him, who should have known better, who were the religious teachers of Israel, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus knows this. And that's why, if you look carefully at that verse, that's why Jesus had compassion for them. That word compassion is an English word, obviously, in our English Bibles, and we took it not from Greek, but from Latin. And compassion literally means to suffer with someone. If you speak Spanish, you can hear it, compasio. You suffer alongside them. The reason the Kapoff family made a radical turn to follow God's guidance into a mercy ministry like giving people life-saving water is because they felt compassion with them. Sean saw a young boy who had worms because he didn't have clean water and though he did not have the disease, he experienced suffering because of that child's plight. Jesus is doing that all the time, perfectly, every moment he's on earth because he knows that people have no hope apart from him. Their religious teachers, as religious teachers will always do apart from Christ, have failed them, have told them to go the wrong way, have told them to save themselves. Jesus alone knows that there is no hope for them apart from Jesus himself. That's why the Gospel of Matthew is going to give you this long introduction to the, Jesus, to the life of Jesus and at the very end slow down and focus on his death and resurrection. Because if you're not quite sure why you're here, if you're just at church because you think it's a pretty good idea, let me tell you the life-saving gospel that Jesus died for sinners like you and me. And if you will only turn away from your self-rescuing efforts and turn to him and ask, you to, ask him to save you, he will. And a good measure of a disciple's maturity is to see what Jesus sees. That's why we're inviting missionaries into our church week after week. That's why anybody who's up here that opens the Bible tries to help you see from Scripture and sometimes through personal example 
like our missionaries, like the Perez family last week. We want you to see what Jesus sees. Because a good measure of your maturity is to be able to see what Jesus himself sees. Do you see the crowds and is your heart moved with compassion? Be really personal here. I ask you a very specific question. Do you go through your life thinking that your Christianity is just a good set of values compared to everybody else's? Or is Jesus to you literally the difference between life and death? Your community, your work, your job, your school, do you really believe along with Jesus and the apostles that apart from Jesus, those folks have no hope in, the, in eternity? That's what Jesus believed. That's what Jesus taught. That's why he preached the way that he did. And that's why a good measure of your maturity as a disciple of Jesus is to be able to see what Jesus does. Look in the next verse. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's not just what Jesus sees. Jesus also said something. He said that many more workers are needed in the harvest. Any of you ever participated in a harvest? We're in Southern California. My wife took junior hires to a field trip years ago. And they saw, apparently for the first time, a cow. And some of the junior hires were appalled to learn that the In-N-Out burger they love so much came from <laughs> one of these big, cute animals. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> yes, kids. <laughs> Vegans may have been made that day. I don't know. <laughs> we have a disconnect between the farm and the plate in coastal Orange County. Me too. But God gave me a life-changing experience when I was a little kid because several times when my family would leave Mexico temporarily to visit other churches, my, my mom and dad would often take me to see our family in a place called Elkhart, Kansas. My mom's side of the family are all wheat farmers. And let me tell you something I learned from a very, very young child. If you show up at a farm in general, but particularly at harvest time, you're going to work. Because we've worked for months and months and months, countless hours, lots of money, lots of machinery, lots of planning have then poured into these few days when we're going to do the harvest. Whether we get paid or not depends on what happens in a very short window of time. So you're here, your family, congratulations. You're going to be part of the family business for just a little bit. So they would dress me in rough clothes, give me gloves, and have the audacity. This was painful. I didn't know you could do this. They would wake me up in the dark, <laughs> get me dressed, take me out to the very few things as a young child that I could do, and make me do them all day long, interrupted only by the biggest meal I ate all year, because all this work has to be sustained with food, and then we're not going to sit around and tell stories. We're fed and fueled. It's back out there. And the grown-ups worked well after dark with headlights and flashlights squeezing every minute that they could in the brief time that they had for the harvest. That's what Jesus is seeing. Elsewhere, he tells his disciples regarding a group of people they had been taught 
to hate, lift up your eyes and look, for the fields are white unto harvest. I discovered by standing at a crossroads in Kansas wheat fields that the wheat fields actually look very much like the ocean. If the wheat is fully grown and the wind ripples through it, it really does shimmer like waves in the ocean. And it was astonishing to see people doing everything they humanly could in a brief window of time to bring that harvest in. That's why Jesus is saying, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is vast. What we lack are workers. It's a spiritual picture, and let me give you a, a real practical picture of what that looks like, of the distribution of Christian workers and Christian witness in the world. If we had as much Christian witness in North America as we do in North Africa, there would be seven Christian churches in all of the United States and Canada. Think about that for a moment. The top third of Africa, nations like Egypt and Morocco in the northern section of Africa together, all of those countries in the region of that enormous continent, all of they together would only have, if we put the same proportion of workers there, that we have there, rather, in the United States and Canada, there would be seven churches between the U.S. and Canada combined. In other words, the distribution is way off, just like it is with water. Because you can go to a grocery store and make a choice of clean water between six or seven brands. Well, some people would literally, <laughs> would literally die to have clean water, and they are. It's the same in the eternal sphere. Listen, we're on Warner Avenue in Huntington Beach. Did you know there are four Christian churches on this avenue alone in the city of Huntington Beach alone? You go out to Warner Avenue, you turn in either direction and walk a short distance, you will soon be at a different Christian church. You keep walking east, you'll find yet another, just a different city. The harvest really is vast. The workers are very few. Listen to what Jesus told us to do about it. Matthew 9, now in verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, because this is true, here comes the action. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is talking about the Father. He's talking about the God who made everything. He says, see all these people for whom my heart breaks. See all these people that it will take all I can do and all you can do in the next few months to minister to them. They're the harvest. It's more than anyone individually can handle. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What did Jesus tell us to do? Simply this. He told us to pray that the Lord would send more workers into his harvest. Let's do a real simple thought experiment. Matthew 9, verse 38, has been in your Bible always. Okay? It's not a new edition. It's not this thing that 
they just came up with. They're always printing new study Bibles and even new translations. But Matthew 9, verse 38, as written by Matthew the Apostle, has been part of the written record of what Jesus told us to do since the Christian church has had scriptures. Written a few decades after his death. It's always been there. Here's the thought experiment. When's the last time you prayed for God to raise up more Christian workers? When's the last time you prayed for more missionaries to be sent from our church? It's a sobering thought, isn't it? See, I did it this morning as I read my Bible and thought about this sermon because I'm preaching this sermon. But if I'm very honest about my prayer life, my prayer life often gets right back to, can you guess? Me. My work, my family, my friends, all good things. Jesus loves to hear every bit of it. He's gentle and lowly of heart. He loves us. He told us specifically, when you pray, pray to the Lord who owns everything that he would send more workers into his harvest. We shouldn't be able to easily look at a map without wondering what the conditions on the ground there are like. Is there church in that city? Are there Christians in that city? Is there any, anyone qualified, prepared by Jesus with the help of another Christian to open up a Bible and explain the good news that I've been trying to explain to you? All too often in far too many places in the world, the answer is no. Over one and a half billion people in the world, as I preach here this morning in three services in one of the four churches on Warner Avenue, Nearly 2 billion people have not yet heard the name of Jesus, not even one time. So here's what we should do. We should pray. And let me make it really, really practical. Smartphones are running our lives, right? Some of you have been looking at your smartphones since I've been preaching. I hope it's the Bible. I don't know. I don't ask. <laughs> I'm just hopeful it's the Bible app and not Instagram. But I don't know. But that... that phone has taught us all to tether our lives to the phone. Let me invite you to do something. Matthew 9, verse 38, Jesus told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more workers into his harvest. He's not frantic. He's not angry. He's filled with love, filled with faithfulness to bring the harvest in. So since that verse is Matthew 9, verse 38, let me make you a simple invitation. Set a reminder on your phone for 9.38 in the morning and maybe also 9.38 at night, depending on your schedule, but choose at least one of those 9.38s for your phone to give you a little reminder so that you are daily conscious to do what Jesus told you to do, to pray more workers into the harvest. It goes without saying, according to Jesus' teaching, that the men being told to pray for more workers to come to the harvest are already in it. They're already serving him, as you should. You should look at your own little network, your own circle, your school, your office, wherever God has sent you. That's the corner of the harvest where he has you. Jesus has sent you there purposely, strategically, and he tells you, since you can't be everywhere... Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers to go into the corners and the vast expanses of the harvest that you will never reach. In simple language, let's get into the harvest. 
and let's pray for more workers to join us. Let's get into the harvest and pray for more workers to join us. Let's pray together. Lord, we're your disciples called by your name who want to see what you see and do what you tell us to do. If there's a person here this morning, Lord, who has not trusted you as Savior, I pray that this would be the morning that they would. And for those of us already following you, we pray, God, that we would have the simple, heartfelt obedience to do what you tell us. Hey, friend, are you sure that Jesus is your Savior? If you're not, could I ask you to turn to him? I'm not asking to change religions. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm asking you to turn away from self and from sin and entrust yourself to Jesus. Ask him to see your heart helpless, harassed. Ask him to be your good shepherd. Put him in charge of you. Many, probably the majority of people here have settled that with Christ. You're Christians. You know you belong to Jesus. You're on mission with him. But I'm asking now and appealing to the one who is not sure. You can pray to him right now in your own words. And if you simply say, Jesus, I'm putting you in charge. I'm turning away from my sin. I'm asking your forgiveness for my sin. He'll come in. He did it for me. He's done it for untold millions.